All right, here we go. You can turn, if you would, to John, um, John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be spending our time today. And uh, this, is the, this is part two of um, a very short series, a two-week series within a series that started back in uh, the beginning of January, the, the series called Real Peace. But today um, is the culmination of a, a two-week series that started last week called Really? Really, Jesus, my joy can be full. Well, if you remember why, I just want to remind you of a few things as we enter into today's passage, why we chose real peace and to come to John chapters 14, 15, and 16. It's because of the world we live in. And uh, Lord, even if you, if church, even if you rewind and you consider life before 2020 and 2021, I am sure you can come to places in your life where you can see darkness existing and the enemy um, giving the full appearance that he is winning um, in the course of your life. And, uh, and, and the truth is this, as long as we live in our broken world, we, we make it through 2020, 21, 2021 through 2022 as we continue through it. Here, as long as we live in this world, we're going to experience these places of darkness where we need the way maker. Uh, we're going to experience these storms. And uh, so we need, it's our desire that we would continue to run to the place where we can have real peace and that's relationship with Jesus Christ. We see right now in John chapter 14, um, Jesus begins sharing his last words knowing that his time is very, very short, within hours he will be taken to the cross and sacrificed um, so that we could be in relationship with him and God the Father. And he says to the disciples, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And he says, these things I have spoken to you. So he's bringing these, these bars and nuggets of gold that he wants the disciples to hang on to um, throughout the course of the rest of their lives as he is leaving. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to trust in this. As I go, I'm making a promise to you that I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. He says, as he sends the Holy Spirit in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Real peace is only achieved. Real peace, everlasting peace, everlasting joy is only achieved by the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in your heart and in your life. So if you came to church today or last week or since January 9th and your goal is peace, your goal is joy, you're actually missing the mark because as we've said before, the temptation becomes if your pursuit is peace, your pursuit is joy, the, the tendency is, the temptation is for those things to become an idol in your life. And you slide Jesus to the back and you become the determiner of how I get to those things. Our goal should be relationship with Jesus Christ as his Holy Spirit is in us and we entrust to him the outcome of our relationship with him. Not as the world gives. The world would suggest that you need to find your own way out of the storm. You need to clean your own, the mud off of your own shoes. 
That's what the world would say, but what Jesus is saying is he dwells in us. He's saying, I am the true source of peace and joy, so come after me. Now we're into John chapter 15, the first 11 verses, and I didn't know how to break them up, so it's part one last week, part two this week. Once again, we see Jesus in his last few hours trying to make the most of every opportunity, knowing his time is short. And so last week I challenged you with it, and I want your your minds to go back to this. If you knew you had hours to live, what would you share with those closest to you? What would you share with them? It's Summit Church's prayer that you would share things that are of everlasting value. They would be words that are eternally influencing. I would include these words, and I would hope that you would do the same. Let's read through John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, to 11 together, okay? Here we go. Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All right, I want to challenge you once again. As a receiver of these words, where is your heart drawn? Can you choose a specific verse that your heart goes to? So as you think through... Um, as you think through a storm in your past, as you think through a current storm that you might be living in or, or, or walking through right now, trusting that one day, knowing that living in this world, you will experience some sort of storm, hardship, dark place. Where is your heart drawn? The disciples, Jesus is leaving. And so it seems to me if I put myself in their place, that would leave an empty feeling, an empty hole in my heart. Jesus is trying to bring them comfort. You, I love, I love, I want to keep going back to Jasper's um, rainstorm analogy, thunderstorm, um, hurricane, if you can go back to when he preached three Sundays ago. You're standing in the middle of it. It's pouring down rain. You're knee deep in mud. 
And you read this passage, where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? And I believe this is where it goes. Look at verse 11. This is really what I would consider to be the theme verse um, for the past two Sundays. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is joy. This is not happiness. And a reminder of what those two mean. Joy is this. In the middle of the storm, you have dwelling inside of you the Holy Spirit of God. And he has given you access to the full joy that comes from being in relationship with Jesus Christ. You have it. You don't just have it at your fingertips. You have it in your heart. And what Jesus is saying, you, because my joy is in you, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you. Because it's in you, you can have joy in the midst of the storm. Knee deep in mud. The world would say, for you to experience true joy, or excuse me, true joy, this is what they would say, happiness, they would suggest you find and you make your way out of the storm and you make the circumstances of life much more tolerable and pleasant. That's what the world would say. That is happiness. I'm sure you've heard this before. You heard it last week. Joy is dependent on relationship with Jesus. Happiness is dependent on what happens to you. Jesus is saying, you can have full joy by being in relationship with me no matter what life brings. And so the sermon title for the, title for the past two weeks is this. Really, Jesus? I know some of you are here. Really, Jesus? My joy can be full Last week's great takeaway was this, and I want to challenge you to make this your great takeaway today. With Jesus, your joy can be full and nothing can take it away from you. If you get nothing else from last Sunday and this Sunday, if you are passionately pursuing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, you have entrusted yourself to him in the lordship of him being Lord of your life, he has given you of his Holy Spirit And there is not a single thing anyone, the enemy himself, can do. No life circumstance that can rob you of the joy that Jesus has provided for you. So, path to full joy. This is a review of of last week. We're going to be looking at the first three things, and then we're going to look at three more. Things that are included. You could call them paving stones on the path to joy. All right? If you look at John 15, verse 11, there are three things, and this is the first one. The path to full joy begins with this. It begins with hearing and trusting what Jesus says. He says, these things I have spoken to you. So he's referring back to the first 10 verses. Hearing is paramount. We must have our ears open to hearing what Jesus has to say through his word. So he's referring to the last 10 verses. We know this based on Romans chapter 10, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus Christ is speaking and he's saying, open your ears to what I have to say and receive the fullness of me and the joy and the peace that comes along. These things I have spoken to you, the first handful full of words in verse 11. That is, Jesus is leaving and he's telling the disciples, my external presence is leaving. But what I'm doing is I'm sending you the helper. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit of God. My external presence goes to my internal, to your internal presence. 
that my joy may be in you, the abiding Holy Spirit. I didn't refer to this last week, but here is a true and living example of someone that was at perfect peace and full of joy in the, in the face of people who absolutely hated him. I encourage you to read um, Acts chapter 7, the account of Stephen as he is preaching his last sermon, and he says this to them after declaring Jesus Christ to them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And they were enraged by this. They ground their teeth at him, but full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed up into heaven and he saw the glory of the Lord and he was at perfect peace and full of joy because he saw Jesus as they stoned him to death. That, that is what it's like to be full of the Holy Spirit of God. That's a crazy storm that Stephen, that God walked Stephen through. All right? Beginning with our, the path to full joy begins with hearing and trusting what Jesus has to say. Here's another one, the path to full joy, accepting who Jesus is and what that means. Jesus is the true vine. He is the true vine. Based on verse one, he says, I'm the true vine and you are the branches. And what does that mean for us? If we are connected to the vine, that is proof that we are in relationship with Jesus Christ. We receive life from him. The moment we come into relationship with him, we are connected to the vine from now until forevermore. We receive the nourishment that comes from, being, from having the Holy Spirit of God in us. He even goes so far as to say, apart from me, there's nothing even worth talking about that you've ever done. Nothing. All the nourishment you receive from me is what is intended to be used to declare the person of Jesus Christ as we live out our lives, to be the branches and to be fruitful. But here's what we do. Sometimes we decide there is a better vine to connect to because we don't like the way Jesus is doing things. So we find ourselves depending depending on the sufficiency that our spouse might bring to us. We find ourselves finding our full joy, or at least we think we do, through our kids. Even a connection to the church, we believe that's the answer. And while all of these are good things, Jesus is saying, these, if you put them before me, are proving, they will prove to be false vines. I am the only one that can bring joy. I am the only one that can bring life and nourishment as the true vine. And then here's a third one. The path to full joy means that we must accept who we are and what that means. Jesus is the vine. We're coming to this when the Father is the vine dresser, and this is who we are. We are simply branches that are intended to be fruitful and bring glory to the vine. What does fruitfulness look like? It looks like a person who is concerned with living life that is, that is displaying love and joy and peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Galatians chapter 5. The fruits of the Spirit of God that is in you. So measure your heart in this moment. How fruitful are you being at those things? Because our goal in life is to declare the beauty of the vine as we grow in our fruitfulness. And the Father has plans for us 
We're going to be looking at that today. Here's another one. Fruitfulness. I want to remind you of this. As you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you making more disciples for Jesus Christ? Are you bringing more people to the true vine, the life-giving vine? All right, so here we go. Today, the path to full joy. Quick rehearsal. Jesus is the vine. We are to be fruit-bearing branches. Now we're walking into the second half of this. All right? There's this word abide that's used 10 times. We're going to be looking at the challenge of abiding in Christ as a result of the pruning work of God the Father who is the vine. Abide, what it means. So path to full joy. Here's our fourth point or fourth paving stone or actually today, if you weren't here last week, it will be your first one. But it's the fourth, we must accept that Jesus will never leave you. I love, when we sat through sermon collaboration, that was a very short one this week, um, but Corey, the songs that he arranged are absolutely, the, the ones that we sang leading up to this are absolutely perfect. Accept that Jesus will never leave you. Jesus abides. You'll hear me use interchangeably the word abide as the passage uses it, but it also means remain. Jesus makes a promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he remains into us. It's referred to three times regarding Jesus and what he says, John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. His joy is in you because he makes a promise to abide in you and to never leave you. He's always true to his promise. Look at verse four. Abide in me, he says to us, and I in you. I in you means once I am there, I'm never leaving. Verse five, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him makes a promise, I am in you. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Three times in this passage, he says, I am going to be in you. He makes a promise. John chapter 14, if you want to go back a month or so when Jasper preached verses 15 to 17, he says, if you love me, I will, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give another who the helper to be with you for how long? Forever, forever. Even the spirit of truth, he makes a promise that he will forever be with us. What truth Jesus speaks to his people, he means for his people. Whatever truth he speaks, he means it. He is a promise keeper and he will never break his promise. Listen to this. Thousands of years before, thousands, a long time before, Jesus made a promise to this man called Jacob. You know, he had a brother named Esau and Jacob, Jacob, He did some things with Esau that caused Esau to absolutely hate him. And his parents knew this. And so his parents said, Jacob, I'm going to send you away. We need to send you away to my brother-in-law. His mom said, Laban, or my brother, Laban. I want to send you so you can spend some time with him until things settle down with Esau. That's where we want you to go. 
And this is what he says to Jacob as Jacob is leaving his home. He says, Jacob, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's what he says to Jacob. He's leaving his home. God makes a promise, I'm going to go with you, and I will never leave you. I will fulfill my promises to you. Later on, Moses is finished leading Israel. He's turning over his leadership to a guy named Joshua. They had spent 40 years in the wilderness. Joshua was Moses' number two guy. You could say he turns over leadership to him. Joshua is the one that will usher Israel into the promised land, and this is what God says to him. He says, now listen, imagine now Moses, one of the greatest ever referred to in the Bible, is turning over leadership of a million plus people to you. You're going to lead them into the promised land, Joshua. And this is what God says to him. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, he says to us, to the church, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What God says to his people, the promises he makes to them, he means it. Whether we are able to receive that or not, especially in the dark times, he is always true to his promise. So I don't know what is causing you right now, if it's you, to doubt the promises of the Lord. But he makes a promise that he will never leave us. When I look through that passage, it even sounds conditional. There are a lot of ifs in that passage. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. But I want to tell you this. If you believe it's conditional, you're wrong. Well, actually, you're right in part. It's not conditional on anything we do, Jesus remaining in us by the Holy Spirit. It's not conditional on anything you do because God knows that we're going to fail over and over and over again. It's not conditional on us. It's conditional on Christ and the work he did on the cross. For apart from that, we are lost. We have no Holy Spirit in us, no access to relationship with God the Father The only condition is based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, not, what on, not on anything that we do or not. We receive the truth of that by grace. You know what? When I think about this, the promise that his, he will never leave me, I, my, my mind goes to Romans chapter 7 where Paul is, is, de, is declaring, wretched man that I am, who will save me? I shared with the team this morning um, just before we came out here, this is, this is almost a harder truth for me to accept than what Jesus did on the cross. Because here we are, you and me, the church, and not just this church, but take every other church that is, that is brought together by the binding work of the Holy Spirit of God. And we must say together, wretched man, wretched woman that I am. Because he chooses in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his purity, everything that makes him who he is in all of his perfection and greatness to dwell in little old Todd's heart. Dwell in your heart. As we declare wretched man that I am. It's hard for me. It's hard for me. 
these things that I've spoken to you. Jesus says, I say them that my joy may be in you. Accepting that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. So I suppose it's a great place for a challenge right now. Have you accepted the truth of who Jesus is? Do you know him? He is the true vine. Are you connected to him? Have you bowed your knee in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you have full access to the joy that comes from being in relationship with him? If you haven't, if you haven't come there, then you are not connected to the vine. And you're in a a reasonably dangerous spot. I encourage you, consider relationship with him. All right, we need to keep moving. Pathway to full joy comes by this, also a strong commitment to remain in Christ. Christ, he always remains true to his promise, but now he calls us to abide. The word abide is used 10 times in these 10 verses, three of which are intended for Jesus and him speaking that I'm going to remain in you. I will not leave you or forsake you. But seven times he encourages us, admonishes us, challenges us to be, to remain in him or to abide in him. A strong commitment to remain in Christ. So I want you to look at verse four in particular because it says it three times in there. He says, abide in me or remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me. Unless you abide in the vine. Unless you abide in me. Seven times, three times in this verse alone, he says that we are to remain in him. What's the difference between Jesus' abiding and ours? His is a guarantee. He will not leave. But here's the challenge for you and me. This is where the abiding rubber meets the road. And we're going to talk about this a little more when we come to the father who is the vine dresser, who is the one that prunes. When the challenge comes into our life, when the storm comes into our life, when we're wet and nasty and cold and mud all over our feet, that is the moment where we are tempted to not abide in Christ. We don't, this isn't what this means. You don't lose your salvation. It means now, if you look at verse 11, he has spoken these things to us. Jesus says, I am now in you. You're, you have access to the fullness of, you have access to the fullness of joy, but now it's dependent. Your full joy is dependent on whether or not you choose to do things my way. And when things get dicey in life, we decide oftentimes that we know what's best. And so when we do that, it's an expression of us not abiding in Christ and doing it his way. That's the difference between Jesus making his promise and us deciding whether or not we're going to abide in the situations and circumstances of life. Here's the beauty of remaining. When we remain, we experience the full joy because we are being more fruitful. Look at at verse five. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever does it my way, And I in him, which is a guarantee, he is in us, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. The beauty of remaining in the vine is receiving. Abiding in the vine is receiving the nourishment that comes from being in relationship with Christ. We bear more fruit. And your joy becomes full. Your joy becomes full the more fruitful you are. Your joy becomes full because you are abiding in Christ. Your joy becomes full because you are deciding, I'm going to do this my way, even though this way seems easier. How do I do that? How do I abide when it seems hard? Look at verse Look at verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my what? Love. How often do you spend time just simply focusing on the lavishing love of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? His love for you is so magnificent we will spend the rest of our lives trying to grasp the greatness of it. How he loves you so very, very much. Abide in my love. Be overcome by the love of Jesus Christ. Because when that happens, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that the love of Christ begins to control you. And it begins to control you because you have accepted the truth of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and he turns you into a brand new creation. The old is passing away and the new has come. When you spend time focusing on the magnificence of the love of Jesus Christ, fully expressed on the cross, that the Father would send Jesus, that the Father would send Jesus his son, to suffer the way he did, what an, what an eternally magnificent expression of the love of Christ. You remain by focusing on the love of Christ. And then, as you love Christ, keeping his commandments becomes so much easier. Look at verse 10. If you, well, let me start at nine again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as, the fa- just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus sets the example. And if we fix our eyes on him, we follow the example. We do things the way he did. Abide in my love, keep my commandments. That's a hard one for us, isn't it? We just don't like to be told what to do. But as you, as you allow yourself to be overcome by the greatness of the love of Jesus, the commandments become so much easier to do. You do it with joy. You follow Jesus as he set the example. There are some things that make it very difficult for us to remain. Very difficult for us to abide. And we're going to take a look at those right now. And this final paving stone, the path to full joy is this. It comes by accepting who the Father is and what he does. Go back to verse 1. Jesus declares, I'm the true vine. This is who the Father is. The Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He takes it away. The non-fruit-bearing branches, the posers, the ones that have lived in some, some form of relationship with the church, with other believers, 
soaking off the the nourishment that they are receiving from the true vine. Those that are not true branches, he, he takes away, he prunes so that we might be more fruitful. Look at this from your perspective. Not just those who are, who are faking a connection to the vine. But now think about your own life. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the vine, brand, or the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what are the non-fruit bearing branches that are kind of sticking out of you? Go back to the fruits of the spirit where you're falling short with those. That's an example of an area where the Lord's going to probably very likely, most definitely bring pruning into your life. The father is the vine dresser. The father is the vine dresser. Just as there are false vines, there are also false vine dressers. Here's the temptation of the pastor. You ready for this one? Temptation of the pastor. If you went and saw my whiteboard, it's, it has the passage, verses 1 through 11 written on it. There are lines going everywhere. There are, there are references to other passages. It's maddening to look at it. It's maddening. And here's why. Because there is so much in these 11 verses that I want to make sure you get that there is no possible way over the course of two weeks you can receive it all from me. The temptation is for me to be the vine dresser for you. We can't do it. Pastors can't do it. Small group leaders can't do it. Your counselor can't do it. Pastor Ken would challenge us as biblical counselors this way. Todd, you can take the word of God on a spoon. You can hold it right up to the mouth of the individual you're counseling, but you cannot make them take a bite. Your pastors, your small group leaders, your counselors are not the true, or they're not the vine dresser. Only he knows what you need the most. Your spouse, you are not, your spouse is not your vine dresser. And by the way, neither are you the vine dresser to your spouse. We think we, think we know what our spouse needs the best, don't we? We don't. We believe, this is a hard one, another hard one. We believe oftentimes that we are the vine dresser for our kids. We are not. We are not. Same truth applies. You can take the word of God, you can hold it right up to their mouths, you can challenge them with this, you can convict them with that, but you cannot make them respond to it. Only the vine dresser can. Only the vine dresser. Only God the Father. He knows best. He is eternal. He is the creator. He is the one who created you and those around you. How many vines do you think he has dressed over the course of mankind from Adam to today? I think he knows what he's doing. Let's entrust ourselves, our spouse, our kids, those in our lives to the true vine dresser. Why does he prune? Because he wants us to be more fruitful, that we would bear more fruit. This brings purity. It purifies us. What happens, what happens if a, um, your, your natural temptation is to respond or your, your natural reaction is to respond to sinful temptations in your life? What happens if that remains, stays connected to you, and the, and the vine dresser decides, I'm not going to prune that out? It's going to cause trouble. It's going to tr- cause trouble in your life. 
in your marriage, with your kids, in your church, and the vine dresser says, you know what, this isn't good for you. We're going to cut that off. Pruning, it's cutting. It's painful. It purifies. But listen to this. We must love pruning. And here's why. Because that is God the Father communicating to you that you are his. It says, you are my child. Listen, the conviction that comes to you, I'm glad it comes to you because it's revealing to you that you are my child. Conviction. How does he prune? He cuts, he cleans, he purges. He won't release you from moments. About a month ago, I was at Caden's last volleyball tournament and I'm standing behind a line judge who's like an 18-year-old line judge. So he's from another team. He's calling lines. Caden's team wins the first set, 25 to 15. I'm like, all right, here we go. They're going to win this one. Second set, it was like 11 to 8. It was 11 to 8. One of our guys rips one down the line. I'm looking straight over the shoulder of this 18-year-old line judge. He called it out. I thought it was in. And I came out of my flesh in the moment and I screamed in his ear, you are wrong. In that moment, I felt the most incredible shame. In the instant the NG and wrong came out of my mouth. The, the heavy hand of the Holy Spirit of God pressed me into the floor. I could not. I couldn't get away from it. I apologized to that kid like three times. I just kept telling him how sorry I was for how out of line I was. I celebrate the truth of that conviction. 25 years ago, I'd still be here today saying that boy was wrong. (laughs) But praise God that he didn't let me out of it. I love the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I, I pray that you will too. Love the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because that's God proving to you that you are his child. What is he convicting you of right now that you need to lay down? Here's what else it does. Look at this. I have done nothing but pray for that kid and his soul since it happened. I'm praying like, Lord, take take my stupidity and my arrogance and my pride and lack of control in my flesh and turn it into something eternally magnificent. Save that boy's soul. I wish you could have seen his face. It was not red with anger. It was pink with adrenaline. And God's like, "You you know what it's like to have an adult talk to you that way when you were a kid. It's terrible. Conviction. It won't leave. Praise God. Correction. There are painful experiences come. 
Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Here's where the correction comes. His promise is to always be with you and we're walking down the, the, the straight path that God has laid out for us and you're like, nope, that's heading into a messy place. I wanna go over here. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You wanna go straight ahead. This is the way we're going. And you're like, nope, this looks like the better way. And you go the other way. And Jesus says, all right, here we go. And you find out, oh man, at the end of that trail is correction upon correction upon correction. He will not leave you. Praise God for that because it is proof that you are his child. He brings encouragement. There's conviction, there's correction, there's encouragement. Jesus, the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, has suffered every single temptation that you and I have suffered, and yet he was never, he never sinned as a result. This is the one that brings us encouragement. I watch people As we sit in my room and we counsel, I watch people, we sit and we talk about their mess and we just talk about their mess and we talk about their mess. But you know when they they light up? When the encouragement of the scriptures come to bear in their lives, they eat it up. Love it. How the Lord encourages by being connected to the vine as he uses his word in our lives. Hey, I want you to consider this as we kind of wrap this up now. He uses you as a pruning tool. So I want you to consider what sort of pruning tool are you? Are you one that is an encourager? You are the one that, that, that forces God to bring some sort of correction that's painful. What sort of pruning tool are you in the lives of those that are around you? Because he will use you. All right, here we go. Love the pruning. Love the pruning. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that he does, that does bear fruit, he prunes, celebrate the pruning, the relationship that you share with the true vine and that God the father loves you so much that he will not permit you to continue in your sin and he brings correction and encouragement and conviction all so that you would bear more fruit. God the Father wants you to bear fruit because it draws attention to the vine. And the vine wants nothing more than God the Father to get his glory. I, two weeks ago, I shared with this, this group of people that pray for me. I said, when you read that passage, when you look at verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What do you believe the verse is that most clearly overlays or covers that verse? And they, they shot all of their answers at me. And then I had to tell them, yeah, while, while Jesus did say I spoke these other 10 verses, there's one that jumps out very clearly to me when I think about the vine, the vine dresser, our responsibility is branches and bearing fruit. Look at verse eight. By this, my father is glorified. The vine is saying, I want my father to be glorified. And so bear much fruit and prove to yourself and to others that you are my disciple bear much fruit. When you bear fruit, it comes on the heels of coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, the true vine, receiving his nourishment, bringing glory to God the Father as you bear fruit for the sake of the vine, Jesus Christ. Warning to the unsaved, you are not fruitful because Jesus says apart from the true vine, you can do nothing. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you, there's nothing you're doing that's even worth talking about because it's gonna go away. If you are connected to the true vine, 
How fruitful are you being today? How full is your joy? Stop fighting the pruning and receive this very loving work that the Father is doing for you. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Father in heaven, it's my prayer today that your church, that Summit Church is bearing much fruit. It's my prayer today, it's our prayer today that our church as they are being fruitful is experiencing the fullness of joy that comes from being in relationship with you. Lord, thank you for your pruning work. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you will not leave us to ourselves. Now, Lord, do a mighty work in the heart of each one that has received your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.